tempted to say we're running a circus school over the summer, but uh, maybe not. Um, that's quite impressive, isn't it? That's an impressive talent. This morning we're going to be looking at talents. Not quite that talent, but talents nonetheless. This week we're continuing our series of sermons looking at some of the parables of Jesus. Hopefully, if you've attended some of the previous series, you'll have seen so far that Jesus' parables are stories with a twist. Stories with a point, but one that not everybody gets. Stories with a meaning, and more importantly, stories to respond to. As we're told in Mark 4, verse 9, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. And I pray that we would all have ears to hear this morning. Well, today's parable is one of those parables that it's not altogether clear what it's about. Unlike some of the parables, when Jesus is speaking, and we've covered the last couple of weeks, there's an explanation in the passage. Jesus explains it to the disciples afterwards. This morning, there's no explanation. We simply have the parable, and we have to try and figure out what it's saying to us ourselves. And this isn't always very clear on the first reading, or the second, or the third, or the fourth. In fact, when I was given the passage for today, I thought, oh dear. (laughs) It's one of those passages that sometimes it's far too easy to put in the difficult pile, sometimes put it in the awkward pile, easier to skip past, something a bit more straightforward, a bit easier to understand. But there's a challenge in this parable for us all to hear if we would only listen. So this week, we're going to be looking at the parable of the talents, hence the video clip. That's the vague connection. That's it. Nothing more. In Matthew 25, verses 14 to 30. So let's read that together. It's appearing in page 940 in the Church Bibles. Let's read Matthew 25, 14 to 30 together. The parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seeds. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seeds. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has been given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. 
and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Can we have the slide back up, Andy? So this morning we're looking at the parable of the talents. And I guess the question before us is, what is this passage about? And probably as importantly, what is this passage not about? On first reading, this appears to be a tale of trust, success, and failure. A rich man goes off on a journey, entrusting his wealth to his servants. We don't know if this was all a part of his wealth, or if these were all or only some of his servants. But they're possibly his key servants, his most trusted ones. And he knew them very well. In verse 15, he says he gave each according to his abilities. He knew their abilities. He trusted them. And the amounts involved were huge. The passage described these in terms of bags of gold. Uh, you imagine a bag of gold with a big dollar sign on it. Or some, some sort of like. But if you look on your Bibles, and you'll see this in the church Bibles, you should see a note halfway through verse 15 pointing to some additional details at the bottom of the page. Here, each bag is described as being worth what is described as a talent in the original Greek, where a talent was worth about 20 years of a laborer's daily salary. That's 20 years' worth of salary in each bag. To give you an idea of the amounts involved, if we look at the average UK salary today, 20 years' worth of salary is about £700,000. That's three-quarters of a million pounds nearly in each bag. And for a bit of fun, I thought, well, how much is that in pound coins? And if we got in pound coins, that'd be about six tons. Each of these servants was given one, two, or five bags of gold, each according to their abilities. And this is where we get our English words for talents from. We think of talents, we think of Britain's Got Talent, we think of circus skills, we think of musician skills, all sorts of amazing things like that. If anybody does want to do that circus dancing earlier on, Good luck. <laughs> but this is where the word comes from originally. The talent is something valuable that the master entrusted his servants with. So the master gives his servants these talents and he sets off on a journey. And each of the servants invests this money as they've been given as they see fit. Two of them put the money to work immediately, looking at verses 16 and 17, while the one who's been a single bag invests it in a hole in the ground. Who puts three quarters of a million pounds in a hole in the ground? And how big was the hole, especially if it was in pound coins? Now, at some point in the future, the man returns from his journey, the passage just says, after a long time, and asks them what they've done with the money. There's a reckoning, the settling accounts. And the simple answer was the first two servants, the ones who'd been left the five and the two bags, had doubled their investments, while the one who'd been given a single bag simply returns it to his master with his excuses. The first two servants were praised and rewarded by their master for their faithfulness. Verses 21 and 23 are identical. The master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Notice that although they'd been entrusted with vastly different amounts of gold, they received exactly the same accolade and the same reward from their master. 
and the same promise of more to come. I will put you in charge of many things. However, the third servant was vilified by his master, judged and condemned, for not even putting the money on deposit with the bankers. In fact, you could argue that digging a hole in the ground to hide the money away would have been harder work than taking the money to the bankers and putting it on deposit. He made a choice. And the servant is then punished for his unfaithfulness. He's degraded and thrown out from his master's service, from his master's house, thrown out into the darkness, which is described as quite a horrible phrase that we see several times, weeping and gnashing of teeth, thrown out from a place of favor to a place of anguish. The phrase weeping and gnashing of teeth appears several times in the New Testament, mostly in Matthew, but on each occasion it's described, used to describe the fate of the unrighteous, describing a place, a condition of anguish, not an encouraging place to be. So what is this passage, this parable? Remember, these are Jesus' stories with a twist. They're not just stories to entertain. They're stories with a point, with a meaning. What does this say to us today? From a brief superficial reading of this passage, this looks like it's a description of faith by works, where what we do ourselves describes our faith. That is our salvation, our relationship with God, is described by what we do, by our own actions, by the activities that we take part in. But we know that this doesn't fit with the rest of the gospel. We know that we are only saved through God's grace and Christ's sacrifice, not through anything of our own making or doing. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 reminds us, for it's by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from ourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And remember that Jesus himself, in Luke 23, 43, when he's on the cross, speaks to the thief next to him, someone who had deserved nothing at all by his own words. But Jesus promised him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then the amazing John 3, 16 reminds us, the gospel in a nutshell, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And Romans 5.10 says, For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? This is not faith by works. There is no such thing as faith by works. We are saved by grace alone. And therefore, this passage isn't about what we do. It's not faith by works. But if it's not that, what is it saying to us? To get an idea of where this passage is about, we need to look at where it can be found in Matthew's Gospel. This story is part of Jesus' final teachings to the disciples as they leave the temple for the last time at Passover and move up towards the Mount of Olives. There he speaks to them at length about what is to come in the days and years ahead, looking forward to what's described as the end of the age, the end of time. If we look at the passage before this parable in Matthew 24, there are descriptions called the signs of the end of the age, the end of time, Jesus' return, Jesus' second coming. 
And in the verses immediately before this parable, in the first part of Matthew 25, there is what is described as the parable of the ten virgins, which is a warning about being unprepared for the master's sudden return. And this has strikingly similar tones to today's passage. And then immediately after this parable, Matthew 25, verses 31 onwards, there is the challenging depiction of judgment that we see in the story of the sheep and the goats. And then Matthew moves on to chapter 26 to describe Jesus' final hours, the Last Supper, his betrayal by Jesus, his denial by Peter, and then moving on towards the cross. So this passage is set amongst other stories, other parables, which describe the end. They describe the time between Jesus' first and second comings. Jesus was looking beyond the cross to the future at this point. And therefore, in many ways, this is a description of how ready are we for his return. Looking at where this story sits in the narrative and the context gives us a better idea of its true meaning. So the nub of this issue is what does this say to us today? If you read around the thoughts and writings in this passage, there are several different interpretations as to what the passage is about and as to what the disciples thought it was about when he was referring to. We we don't have any descriptions from Jesus. We don't have any of those interesting, stupid questions from Peter to Jesus to actually give us something to refer to. We just have the parable itself. I guess the most obvious thing to think about here there's a master, there's a journey, there's some servants and some talents. The most obvious is that the disciples are represented by the servants, with Jesus as the master who is going away, leaving them with their talents to await his return. And especially with hindsight, this makes a lot of sense. Therefore, we need to ask the question, what does this passage say to us today? Jesus was speaking to his audience at the time, the disciples, But as with all his stories, he was also speaking to us today. To me, this is a challenge to us. This is a challenge as to how ready we are for Jesus' return, how committed we are to living fully as Christians, and to using the gifts and talents that he's given us. This is a message to us here in 2019 where Jesus is our master, and we are his servants. We describe ourselves as many things, his servants, his children, his church. We know he's gone away on a long journey, 2,000 years and counting so far. But he's promised that he's coming back. And in the meantime, he's left us here as his people, his representatives, his church here on earth, with many talents and a command to spread the good news of God's kingdom. Matthew 28, 18-20, the Great Commission, reminds us that Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, always to the very end of the age. He is our master. He has gone away, but he promised that he will return. 
So the question, the challenge before us is, what are the talents he has given us? And what have we done? What are we doing with them? There are many things that we have which are gifts, talents for us all. And which, as Hannah reminded us last week, are how we can truly live life to the full. We can respond to the promise of salvation through his grace and his love. We can worship, glorify, and trust God in all we do. We have Jesus' words and example to follow. We have our Bibles to read and study. We have the amazing promise, the gift of prayer, being able to talk to our Heavenly Father. We have the promise of the Helper, of the Holy Spirit. We have the privilege of loving and serving each other as the body of Christ. Sometimes it's a privilege. Sometimes it's a bit more of a challenge. And we have the privilege of loving and serving the world as well. And there are many individual talents which he's given us. So many different things for each one of us. Some are obvious. We have fantastic musicians this morning. We have people with such talents that we see on such a day-to-day basis. And we also have discrete talents that we don't always see, but which are vitally important. The service that goes on behind the scenes, the faithfulness through the years, the commitment to pray day on day, year on year. These are the fruits and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Remember, the fruit of the Spirit is described in Galatians 5. It's love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's quite an amazing list. And throughout the New Testament, there are various lists which we describe as the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Amazing things like prophesying, serving, teaching, encouraging, giving, leading, showing mercy, wisdom, knowledge, faith, guidance, administration. Healing, miraculous powers, distinguishing spirits, speaking in tongues, interpreting tongues, being a pastor, being a teacher, being an evangelist, being a prophet, being an apostle, being a servant. And there are so many, many more. None of these we deserve, but we have them, and we have been given them, either as natural abilities that are enhanced are supernatural abilities that are truly gifts from God for us to seek and to use. These are precious talents that we've been left, left behind. But our master expects us to invest them. My question today is quite straightforward. What have we done with these talents? What are we doing with them, with these gifts, these promises? Do we seek to live following Jesus' example? Do we seek to know him better? Do we study our Bibles enough? I know I don't. Do we pray enough? I definitely know I don't. Do we actively and deliberately worship God in all that we do? Not just standing up singing on a Sunday morning, but in every action of our lives. When was the last time we actively sought God's leading in our lives? Do we seek and acknowledge the fruits 
and the gifts of the Holy Spirit? And how much do we support and encourage each other? Nicola was telling us a story about evangelism. When was the last time we went out and explicitly shared the gospel with somebody in the world? I'm putting my, myself at the top of all these lists because these are really challenging questions. Do we use our time, our energies, our gifts to further God's kingdom enough? Do you know what talents you have been given? Do you really? Have you explored them? Have you asked God what they are? Have you asked others what they are? Sometimes the last person to be able to be aware of what we're good at is ourselves. Lots of different questions, lots of different challenges for us all. But we have a duty to invest the talents that our master has given us. He's our master. We are his servants. He has given us a gift that he seeks for us to use. So the challenges for us are the same. Do we know what talents we've been given? Are we using them? Are we using them wisely? And are we seeking to use them as he would have us use them? Not just how we think would be best. Are we ready for the master's return? In the the parable, the master was gone a long time. He would have just returned one day out the blue. Remember that in the parable, the man gave to each of his servants according to their ability. And to those who, who did as he asked them, he gave the same reward. Well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. It's not about how much we've been given, as we've all been given different things, different situations, different talents, different abilities, different challenges. But it's about doing something with them that matters. When we use them, God will bless them, and his kingdom will flourish, and through that we will be blessed. God gives each of us the talents we require to do the tasks he's given us. God gives us everything we need to do what he has called us to do. And he promises that he will not task us with more than we can actually cope with. That's not what we think we can cope with, but what we can actually handle. It's not about what we do, it's about doing it. And the reason we're called to do it. He is our Lord and we are his servants, called to follow his example called to follow his commands in order to further the kingdom. This passage reminds us that we work for the master, not ourselves, and that we will be held accountable one day for how well or not we've used the talents he's given us. The master had faith in his servants, in their abilities. He gave to each of them according to their abilities. Jesus knows us. God knows us. He knows what we need. He knows what will give us. The unprofitable servant was unfaithful to his master, while the other two were faithful and were rewarded in full. Our readiness needs to be active, investing in what we've given, and not passive, not buried, buried away in a hole in the ground. 
And this is important to us today because as a church, we're currently looking at how to work out the vision that we feel that God has given us. We have the building works happening over the summer. But the building works are only the beginning. The really hard work starts after that. The work in the building is so we have a place that is fit for purpose for our vision. It's not the vision itself. Our vision is not a building project. Our vision is expanding God's kingdom. Once the works are done, we need to look to the communities around us to reach them with the love of God through Jesus. Are we ready for that as a church? Are we ready for the challenges ahead after the building work? Sharing the gospel. Reaching out into the community on our doorstep. Becoming involved in the beaking projects going on. Becoming involved in the Alpha course that Nicola mentioned earlier. Reaching out beyond our immediate circle of friends community. How much do we give of our time and our abilities? Do we do that sacrificially? It's investing in God's kingdom is we are called to do. And how much, more, how much willing are we to go deeper with our relationship with God, with our discipleship, learning to know God more, to love God more, to support and encourage each other individually within our prayer meetings, within our small groups, and within our Sunday services as we seek to grow God's kingdom together. How much willing are we? Are we ready? Are we truly ready for that? So are we ready? Are we ready for our master's return? Do we know what talents he's given us? Are we being faithful in using the talents he's given us? Are we using them wisely? Are we seeking to use them where he would have us use them? What's our response to how we're using them? We are called to love God, to follow Jesus and to be faithful to him, using what he gives us, following where he leads. Who wants to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant? You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. So let's be ready. Let's be good and faithful servants. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you for all that you have given us. For the trust that you have in us as your people as your church here on earth. Father, give us the strength and the willingness to trust you where you lead and to step out in faith using the talents that you have promised us through the Holy Spirit. Father, may each of us know what you have given us and may we have the courage to use it in you intent to the glory of your name and to the furtherance of your kingdom. Amen.